Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include lender efficiency, my interview with Cottage CEO Alex Zarnecki on accessory dwelling units, and what to make of a volley of housing market news yesterday. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Recently named a top 100 firm by Inside Public Accounting, Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, cybersecurity, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry. The firm has also consistently been recognized as one of the fastest growing firms in the country and has been named to the Housing Wire Tech 100 in Mortgage, Accounting Today Firms to Watch, and the fastest growing firms. The firm has also received multiple awards for excellence and firm culture from inside public accounting. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit RichieMay.com. As the MBA's conference in Nashville wraps up, lenders and vendors are in an interesting mindset. Optimists are saying there's a lot of opportunity out there, and rates will come back down and refis will give us some oomph. The pessimists are saying, why do I care about multi-year agency goals when I'll be lucky to make it through the next few quarters? We're just trying to cut costs fast enough, including LO Comp and outlast our competition. Lenders everywhere are doing what they can now to make themselves more efficient, fearing rougher times ahead. Banks and credit unions are looking at cross-training skill sets, prioritizing coverage and making sure to cross-train so people can play to their strengths, analyzing what tasks they're doing and the best people to do it. What about workflow? Lenders are minimizing file touches using a cheaper resource for parts of the file and moving more duties from underwriting to cheaper personnel. Doing things like using checklists. Once a file hits intake, if there's enough information to make a credit decision, have it go right to the underwriter. Some lenders calculate income three different times, wasting more time and increasing the need for more processor bandwidth. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome on to the show Alex Zarnecki, founder and CEO of Cottage, a SaaS-enabled marketplace for residential construction. Alex was previously an entrepreneur in residence at Sousa Ventures, where he sourced new investments and incubated Cottage. Prior to Sousa, Alex spent four and a half years at Uber, where he held leadership roles in expansion and operations. He launched Uber's ride-sharing business in several countries, was the first person working on Uber Eats in Europe, and managed the operations of a $1 billion plus revenue business segment. After forging a career launching new business units for Uber around the world, he took on the challenge of building his own ADU. Confronted with opaque pricing and an overly complex process that stymied his project, he believed there had to be a better way, and thus he found a cottage to reimagine residential construction, starting with ADUs. Since its founding, Cottage has helped hundreds of homeowners across California get more out of their home with an ADU. For, for those that are considering ADUs or, or just starting to look into the process, what's the, the pitch about why, why they should do it? Yeah, so homeowners generally come to Cottage for a couple different broad reasons, and I think there's kind of sub-benefits within each of them. Um, the first general motivation, and probably 60% of the homeowners that we work with today is for extra space. So a lot of times that is multi-generational family, elderly parents, adult children, 
you know, growing families that need more space on their existing home. And then I'd say the probably 40% of our business today is homeowners that intend to either rent out the ADU or the main home and use that for, for rental income. Can you explain what Cottage is doing and some of your goals? Sure. Um, so Cottage is a one-stop shop for custom ADUs. Um, we essentially uh, work with both homeowners, architects, and contractors to ensure a you know, beautiful design, permitting, and build of a custom ADU. Um, we do this uh, across the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and just launching into San Diego right now. Um, and you know, over the past two years since our launch, um, we believe we've become the number one custom ADU builder in the country. Did you get into this because you had an affinity for small housing or or you wanted to help with housing shortages for the general population? What was what, what inspired you to do this? Yeah, it's funny. I've actually spent a lot of my life in and around ADUs. So two of the kind of three homes that I grew up in um, that you know, either my par- parents bought or built um, had ADUs that they would rent out to kind of offset part of their mortgage. Um, and then actually I was living in a 300 square foot studio ADU um, while starting Cottage. I'd say the real impetus for for starting the business, I don't have a background in architecture or construction. My background is in in the technology space. Um, But I was helping my parents figure out how to afford to age in place in the Bay Area. Um, We decided that the solution was for them to build an ADU on their home, rent it out to a local grad student. Um, And then we kind of fell into every trap that a homeowner falls into in taking on a home improvement project. So figuring out feasibility, exactly what's possible, architectural design and design to a budget, navigating city permitting, and then finding the right general contractor. Um, at kind of every step of the way, we believed that um, we could do it better if we took a first principles approach and applied some new technologies to that. So that's really the impetus behind um, getting started with Cottage. What is the feasibility for doing this uh, if you have a, a existing property you own? I mean, my, my biggest hold up is I think it'd be a pain to go through the permitting process. And that's, that's why I'm not doing it. Otherwise it seems like an ADU would be uh, a no brainer. Yep. I think there are kind of two subcomponents to feasibility. One of them is just general kind of zoning and what is allowed by the city. Uh, there have been a lot of changes to both municipal and state regulations around what's possible with ADUs. You know, really over the past couple of years, the state of California, as well as a few other states um, in the U.S., have come in and say, here are some objective criteria. If you if you meet these criteria, you're able to build an ADU ministerially. So you don't have a public consultation um, process, you know, neighborhood review and all that sort of thing. Um, so a lot of it is kind of figuring out at the state and municipal level, what are the setbacks that are required? What's the maximum size ADU you can build? What's the maximum height ADU you can build? How many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, and, and all of those requirements. That's, I'd say, part one of feasibility. The second part is really local site conditions and, um, and, and, and criteria, particularly around infrastructure and what's going to be required for kind of site preparation, what's required for a foundation, and what's required for utilities. So really, this is less of is it possible to build an ADU or not? And more, how expensive would it be to prepare the site, build a foundation that's suitable for the ADU and upgrade all the utilities to match um, kind of the city requirements there? 
That's my other big holdup with doing an ADU is you see the cost of a structure and you say, okay, that's pricey, but I can make it work. And then it seems like the cost balloons over time by the end of the project. How would you explain to people the trans, like transparency behind the costs and, and what costs they're going to encounter and, and how much those might be versus expected? It's funny. I oftentimes think of it as kind of car commercials with a lot of these prefabricated ADU manufacturers. They kind of have a you know, from X price. And then in really fine print, it's, you know, actual MSRP is, you know, 50% higher than that. I think we see a lot of that in the prefab ADU space right now. Um, In Cottage, we're trying to do it very differently by actually gathering some of those site criteria, understanding what's possible in your property and trying to give you an upfront cost um, for a a customized ADU to your lot. Um, So, Really, you know, I think that's that's a common concern of homeowners entering into the project that they're going to be unforeseen conditions or additional kind of add-ons along the way. And that's why we do really thorough diligence on the site in advance of putting together a proposal with a general contractor. And how do you find general contractors to work with? Yeah, so our model is is a little bit unique in the industry. I think the the problem that a lot of homeowners have always had with um, both architects and GCs is it's really a, a one-time transaction. So there's little incentive or accountability mechanism to do great work sometimes. Um, and so what's unique about Cottage is that for the first time in this industry, architects and GCs have a repeat customer, right? Because of this, the presence of our, our platform. And that means that we are tracking how GCs are doing on their kind of uh, timeline versus their proposal on the actual cost versus the budget that they provided. Um, and that obviously, I think we see better behaviors through that. Um, in terms of kind of vetting more upstream, you know, we have a number of industry professionals on our team that just do a more thorough vetting than any individual homeowner would do themselves. So reviewing permit records to see, uh, you know, whether they've built similar projects before and how those went talking to previous clients, going actually out and visiting some of their sites that are under construction to kind of see the guts of their build, as well as visiting uh, uh, completed projects to see how those those went. So it starts with a more thorough vetting, and then it kind of uh, sustains itself with a, uh, a repeat work accountability mechanism. And I glossed over architecture a little bit. Cottage isn't doing the architecture, you're contracting with architects, or, or how does that part of the process work? Um, it's a little bit of a hybrid model. So we have a uh, we have a design studio. These are kind of freelance architectural designers that design under our standards and using our technology systems. Um, we've also built uh, a bit of custom in-house proprietary technology that would allow homeowners to kind of manipulate floor plans to get a little bit of a closer idea of what they want to build for their property, then actually visualize uh, different finishes and materials that they can put on their ADU all with the vision of being able to give people better upfront cost transparency. Um, so being able to see an upfront price on uh, your ADU on your site with those finishes that you've selected. What has changed recently, both at the national level, but I know also at the state level, like California has made some changes with regulations surrounding ADUs that has made it more feasible. And, and just how feasible is it for, for people that think it might become a huge pain for them? Yeah, the the big kind of change that's happened at the California level really over the past couple of years was ministerial permitting. So the idea that you don't have to notify all neighbors within a certain radius, you don't have to have a neighborhood kind of review or, or subjective review of your plans. If you meet objective criteria like setbacks, a maximum size, maximum height, 
you're able to build an ADU. And that could be a detached ADU or that could be converting any existing garage. Um, so really the vast majority of single family homes and smaller multifamily homes in California are eligible to build ADUs in a ministerial way. Um, now, I think the devil is in the details at the municipal level, and there's a lot of different requirements that a municipality can come in, whether it's regarding infrastructure, whether it's regarding um, kind of specific building uh, details and construction details that um, I think still creates a lot of value in, in having a expert like Cottage come in and manage your permitting process. You know, we've kind of done this, you know, several hundred times across uh, a number of different municipalities and we're able to triangulate into what are the requirements for each of these cities and how to get through a permitting process as swiftly as possible. And if I was interested in getting an ADU done and I was gung-ho about it, what are the timelines like uh, from, from reaching out, contacting you to completion? Yeah, so I can't I can't speak to um, California coastline um, where where you're at up there, but in general, in the municipalities that we operate in, so across the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and San Diego, you're typically seeing a permitting review timeline depending on the city of between three and five months. So that's for all zoning, all um, all building, all infrastructure reviews, and then actual on-site construction timelines of around three and a half to four and a half months is what we're seeing right now. And we talked about prefab ADUs a little bit. When it comes to getting a real quality ADU, what what do you look for uh, in the construction? Yeah. So first of all, I think there are a lot of myths around prefab that are, it's as easy as just kind of someone comes in with a crane and drops it in your backyard. I think the reality is that it, takes a significantly more work and time and cost than those kind of promises are, are made. And the reason for that is the hard part of construction is not the framing and not kind of the finishing. It's the site preparation to make sure that there's the correct place to build the ADU. There's the foundation work. There's the utility upgrades. Those are the really hard parts. And um, you kind of need to do those, whether you're doing a, a prefabricated ADU or a site built construction. We've generally seen that the materials that are used by a lot of the prefab manufacturers probably aren't going to last and probably aren't going to add as much lasting equity value for your property. Um, and I think there's going to certainly a component to the aesthetic uh, kind of matching of the existing home and property that a customizable ADU like Cottage uh, just gives you superior ability to do. And how do you see the ADU industry or space evolving from here? I know it's highly popular among millennials, it seems like a great way if I buy a house to subsidize some of my uh, monthly expenses. Yeah, um, certainly popular among millennials, but even I'd say probably in our experience, more popular with baby boomers um, who are you know building those for elderly parents or adult children. So kind of across the demographics, we see you know millennials who are first-time home buyers. We see a lot of baby boomers who have done a number of construction projects previously. Uh, that are that are taking these on. Um, you know, when I look to kind of the the future of ADUs in this industry, I see a lot of regulatory change that will be opening up ADU potential outside of California or outside of the West Coast. So we roughly see, you know, we kind of track different um, state and local municipal regulation regulations and, and policy, and we see around half of the states or major metros in the U.S. have some sort of framework that they're either have in place or are working towards. 
Um, so I, I expect to see this kind of ADU wave um, spread east across the United States over the next couple of years. The last thing I want to talk about is sustainability. And it is a sustainable housing solution. Can you explain to the audience why that is? Yeah. So, you know, I think when we when we talk about sustainability, a lot of the times we kind of default to this is the type of material that you'll use and, and all that. And I think that's you know, very important. However, I think at kind of a macro level, one of the reasons why um, we have so much carbon emissions is because of urban sprawl. And by definition, ADUs are densification of existing neighborhoods, oftentimes that are closer to great schools and great job oppor- great job opportunities. So really, I think we think of ADUs as um, one of the greatest things that we could do uh, alongside other sorts of kind of densification of housing to reduce carbon emissions in the future. Now, beyond that, I think what we've seen is a lot of municipalities and states are requiring the ADUs to be built at a standard of kind of um, energy efficiency that is much higher than a lot of existing homes. So solar, we have seen during 2022 to be enforced by virtually you know, most municipalities. Uh, electrical, uh, sorry, electric power rather than gas for a lot of the utilities is seems to be um, uh, increasingly the, the standard as well. So in general, we see ADUs as great for the environment and sustainability on, on multiple counts. When it comes to financing ADUs, it's not like it's a single family residence or, or under traditional mortgage underwriting guidelines. How does the financing work with ADUs? Yeah, so we see that most homeowners historically, you know, we've been around for a little bit over two and a half years. Uh, in earlier days, virtually all of homeowners were paying for the ADU with a cash out refi. Rates were low, equity was high, easy to kind of pull out a couple hundred thousand dollars to finance the ADU. Um, more recently, with all of the interest rate hikes, we have been seeing more homeowners gravitate towards HELOCs just because they don't want to kind of give up the locked in uh, lower rates on their main home. Um, that said, you know, even with uh, higher interest rates, we find that it makes a tremendous amount of sense financially for most homeowners who have decided to kind of take these projects on. Alex, well, thank you for making the time to talk to me today. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Robbie. Yesterday saw the release of a couple soft housing-related reports and a disappointing consumer confidence report for October. The FHFA house price index declined 0.7% in August, a similar decline to the previous month. Prices were up 11.9% from a year ago, but this is the first time since March 2011 that the index has seen two consecutive months of decline. The average of 9.63% increase over the past 11 months puts the 2023 conforming loan limit around $709,500, with one last data point needed. And the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index declined 0.3% in July, remaining up 13.1% year-over-year after increasing a revised 16.0% year-over-year in July. The Southeast showed the biggest growth. The leading cities were Miami and Tampa. There are some data points that could push the Fed to begin to slow rate hikes. You know, summer and fall rate hikes are yet to impact the economy. And we could see the Fed signal that with its December projections. Separately, consumer confidence declined in October, according to the conference board, as consumers' concerns about inflation picked up again on the back of rising gas 
and food prices. Higher mortgage rates continue to put pressure on demand, notably weakening not only house price growth, but mortgage origination activity. MBA mortgage applications decreased 1.7% from one week earlier to remain at the slowest pace since 1997, as mortgage rates increased for the 10th consecutive week to the highest level since 2001. Later today brings advanced indicators for September, retail and wholesale inventories, new home sales for September, and a treasury auction of $43 billion five-year notes. In the early going, agency MBS prices are up about an eighth, and the 10-year is at 4.06 after closing yesterday at 4.11%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A man was at a bar one night in Springfield and saw a beautiful redhead sitting in the booth opposite him. After about five minutes, he got up the guts to go talk to her. Just as he sat down, she sneezed and her glass eye flew out from her socket. On reflex, the guy shot out his arm and caught her eye and gave back to her. They started talking and the redhead invited the man to go to a movie with her, then go back to her place for a nightcap. In the morning, she cooked him a big breakfast of bacon and eggs and the man said, Why are you being incredibly nice to me? Is this the way you treat all men who start talking to you? To which the redhead replied, No, you just happened to catch my eye. (laughs) Thanks again to Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking. To learn more, visit richiemay.com. about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.